my friends and my new friends, if you're here for the first time, thank you for joining us. Our guest is Jordan Gross, a very present person, an amazing writer, a great soul. He uplifts those around him. Uh, he's the author of Cloud Nine, but a two-time author now. Editor's note, three-time author. Of a piece he actually put out in 2020. The publishing house took it down because it was so good, and it's now a book in physical form. You can pre-order it. One I will pre-order, one I want to physically hold because it's it's so good. I want to flip through it, but it's called What Happens in Tomorrow World. He's someone who writes with full soul and meaning and intention. He's trailblazing personal development through creative storytelling, a person of imaginativitation, a word he founded with imagination, creativity, and implementation. So if you're into writing and just being a good person and, and growing, this is a good episode for you. So thank you for joining. And let's dive into Jordan Gross's story and much, much, much more. I have a dream. That's one small step for man. I am the greatest. You want something, go get it. Period. But yeah, we'll we'll just we'll just roll into it. I, I think one of the first questions, as I'll have a nice little lengthy, heavy, meat-filled intro for yeah. you, as you you have so many different facets to your life. The one question I want to start with mm-hmm. is if you were an English teacher, what would you have your students read and what would you have the class theme be focused on? Okay. This is a great question because probably the only teacher I still talk to from my elementary, middle, or high school life is my eighth grade English teacher. And my eighth grade English teacher, the more I introspect and think about my entire story and everything I'm trying to do in the world, is the person who introduced me to personal development through creative storytelling, reimagining who you are, reimagining teaching other people how to live their lives, reimagining personal development. Uh, my eighth grade teacher, Mr. Duran, was the first person who showed me that learning could be enjoyable. So I'm not going to reinvent the wheel with this particular question, but rather I'm just going to share with you what Mr. Duran, my eighth grade English teacher, mm-hmm. did in his class. I would switch it up so maybe we're learning about personal development topics as opposed to English topics. Um, but he just totally reimagined learning. And you, you mentioned book. And the book that comes to my mind that triggered in me any desire to read, it, it was probably the only book I read in high school or middle school. I, I was in middle school at the time uh, because I just spark noted all the rest. The only book I read front to back was Animal Farm. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was there was a social studies lesson in there, there was a history lesson in there. There was a ton of English lessons from the way that George Orwell wrote the book. Uh, but ultimately, the lesson that I took away was a personal one, which was I enjoy learning when I am moved emotionally, when I am touched by certain characters' stories, when I can have some fun while being taught. And that's what Mr. Duran showed me. So if I were to create my own class, which hopefully I will, it would be teaching concepts in personal development. So positivity, communication, creativity, storytelling, 
finding out some unique and creative and fun way to do it through parables, through movies, through songs. Mr. Grand did all this stuff, by the way. Uh, and I would ultimately share lessons in that way, just like he did. Mm. So I love that question so much because it's, it's truly part of my plan. I want to teach and I want to teach in this way because it triggered something in me that I remember made me want to learn as opposed to every other class, even after that, even ninth to 12th grade, I only had a couple of teachers who I remember did something even remotely similar. Whereas his class was the one that I wanted to come back to again and again and again. Um, mm. I want people to come back to me again and again and again, because there is an element of entertainment involved in the learning and self-betterment. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend today about how entertainment is like a gateway into education. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense that Disney yeah. does so well, right? It's uh -huh. like Walt Disney had such a vision for... He was into personal development too. And obviously it went through like the, the mud of the mud, like the way in Shawshank Redemption, um, the main actor goes through this 500 meter sewer. Uh -huh. Like Walt Disney was homeless at one point. He had to like yeah. go through that to create his vision. Um, but there's something in that. Absolutely. Look, the way that I see it is almost everything is personal development, right? Like children's books, parenting is personal development through creative storytelling, right? Like, is a kid just going to go to their room or are they going to go to their room if monsters are outside of their room so they're only safe if they can go to their room, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, True. the art of persuasion that comes back to, it's all personal development. It's all skill building, soft skill building uh, through storytelling, which is so great. And just to go off on another tangent, which I'm sure we will a lot as we chat, like you mentioned Disney and, and Pixar and the movie soul that just came out without giving away spoilers, but that's all personal development through this creative edutainment type of structure, yeah. right? It's about finding your purpose. And is that actually important versus living your life versus finding the flow states versus passion, right? All this good stuff is wrapped up in this beautiful story that a five-year-old would love, you know? So there are these hidden undertones um, in the things that I love the most where you can really pull out the emotion from it and do some mm. learning at the same time. Yeah. And even on that note of a uh, parable or, or fictional in order to inform people better, you're in the final stages of making your own with your new book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would love, for, I would love for, love for you to talk about that. Cause it's only like two months out. Mm -hmm. Um, but everything yeah. encompassing it, you don't have to go into the full gamut of the four day, the four day journey went on in the beginning of the pandemic, but where you're at with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I will, cause that, that's just part of the story, but so the, the book is called what happens in tomorrow world. Uh, it's a modern day fable about navigating uncertainty. And I love that subtitle so much that modern day fable piece, because that's really what I want to do with reimagining personal development. And the way that I do that is through this process called imaginativitation, uh, which stands for imagination, interpretation, creativity, and implementation. So basically what I do for my stories now is like, I love those old Zen parables or those like old folk tales, uh, things with like a, a monk and a teacher and, and somebody uh, who's of very high wisdom. Uh, but I want to make mm. those stories more applicable to 
this generation, modern times. So I, I kind of imagine that old story and then I interpret why the story is important. And then I creatively come up with a way to bring that story into present day times. And then I just implement by putting it onto the, the screen in front of me and just seeing what happens, assessing the first draft, editing and all that good stuff. So mm. that's why I love the subtitle so much. So it's what happens in tomorrow world, uh, a modern day fable about navigating uncertainty. And it came about from the first four days of the pandemic, like you said, and I won't dive too much into it, but uh, I just wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wanted to help people. And I chose the theme of uncertainty because when we got hit with lockdown, that was the number one word I kept hearing. The world was in uncertainty. There were unprecedented times. Uh, it was uncertain as to what this disease could do to us. It was uncertain as to whether people would have their jobs or not. It was uncertain as to whether we would, you know, see tomorrow. So I wrote mm. this parable, What Happens in Tomorrow World. And it was based off of my four grandparents' responses to uncertainty. And my two grandmas are still alive, so I knew how they responded to uncertainty. Uh, my two grandpas, I just kind of imagined what how they would be reacting right now. And it turns out that those four responses are optimism, pessimism, sage, like a very wise way, uh, and then chill slash indifference. They're my four grandparents. So what I did was I created a world called Tomorrow World, which is an arcade. And inside the arcade is this giant crane game. And inside the giant crane game are four characters, Opti, optimism, Pessy, pessimism, sage, sage, wise wisdom, and chill. Uh, that's the indifference piece. So these four characters are in their own situation of uncertainty. And that uncertainty is whether or not they're going to get plucked out of their world by the giant crane and put into the real world. So that's how the story goes. And, and I just ask, you know, the readers as a parable to try to get involved with the characters and really analyze who you are see if you're being optimistic these days or are you being pessimistic and how are the people around you being how do your actions affect the people around you what do you think is the right way to be is there a right way to be are there any specific emotions or actions we're supposed to be doing in such times of uncertainty mm. uh, i wanted to put together obviously a resource about how to navigate uncertainty but i wanted to do it just like, you know, Mr. Duran showed me in this fun, creative, lighthearted um, and overall just an entertaining kind of way, like we said before. Mm. Yeah, I love that so much. And I, I'm yeah. excited to see it come into full fruition as it already is in the process. But one thing I wanted to mention as well is I saw an amazing, amazing tweet the other day that talked about questions are the answers it basically said just that mm -hmm. and for you in being someone which is still boggles my mind that you did 90 interviews in 90 days you've done all these appearances you you've questioned people you're a questioner what is the greatest question you ask yourself um maybe it doesn't have i mean it's a very very narrow question with the one that's a very very potent uh heavy topic but what is what is an important question you ask yourself um, in your in your in your journey yeah. thus far? 
So that's an unbelievable question. I, I thought you were going to ask me what's the most, what's the best question I've ever been asked. So I was like prepping that answer. No, we'll we'll, we'll put um, we'll put that in the uh, yeah, in the details because you wrote about that. Yeah, no, th- this question is better. This is awesome. I, I'll take it in two directions. Um, one is going to be the communication route, and one is going to be like the life purpose, passion type route. Mm. Uh, so the the communication route. Um, I'm going into the therapy field and with that, I, I need to be calm, level-headed. I think that's such an important quality to have when you're communicating with other people. And people ask me a lot, how do you do that? Right? How do you not be impulsive? How do you not be reactive? Um, how do you not, uh, ever say the wrong thing uh, I get sometimes, which I, I think I say the wrong thing all the time. Um, but anyway, before I, I say something, I ask myself, is this comment or is this thought or is this idea just benefiting me? Like, am I just saying it because I really want to say it or is it benefiting the people around me? Does it truly add a valuable contribution to the conversation at hand or am I just saying it to say it? So that's something I'm kind of, it's, it's honestly like tedious, but I'm kind of constantly asking myself that one question in all of my interactions. And I wanted to mention this communication piece because communication is such a huge part of everything that I do. Like even with my writing, I ask myself that same question, is this sentence just being said because I want to say it, or is it actually going to make a greater contribution? Mm. So that's big for the communication piece. And then the life question I try to ask myself all the time is uh, essentially, am I living according to what I believe or what society believes, what people expect me to believe? So my second book, The Journey to Cloud Nine, was all about that concept. I was somebody who was just completely living a life based off of external expectation like I was told by friends to get into an economics major. I was told by fraternity brothers and soccer classmates to, to go into investment banking internships. And I never really thought about it on my own. Uh, so I just did it. So when I finally had that switch and started making decisions for myself, I realized how much more liberating that was and how much better I started to feel. So I asked myself that question all the time in the decision-making life living process. Um, am I living according to my true values of being unique and, and doing things that are different than others? Or am I living according to other people's expectations? And, and I hope all the time it's based off of what I truly value and believe in. Yeah, I, I love those a lot. And there's a lot of unraveling with internally when you ask those questions as it's kind yeah, of like I, a take a step back to go forward, right? Yeah, uh-huh, of course. Yeah, and I, I was going to, to the first question uh, you brought up though about communication is I was going to ask more about like your framework when writing of like, do you write in a sort of stream of consciousness and then go back and edit? Or do you write while continually questioning yourself the way you just posed it? Like, am I writing this for just me wanting to say it or for others? Yeah. So it depends on what I'm writing and mm. how the thoughts are flowing that day, honestly. Um, I don't have like a set structure 
all the time. And what I mean by depends on what I'm writing, like if I'm sitting down to write a, a quick piece, I think that might flow really nicely, like a thousand word essay. I think that might just flow straight from the beginning to the end. And then I'll go back and do the editing afterward. But if I'm writing, like I'm doing this series called Lil Books, and they're like 6,000, 5,000 to 15,000 word pieces, um, but all of them are basically like 5,000 to 7,000 word pieces. And for that, I'll more so get a little bit into the weeds, like making sure a section is okay. And I'll come back to just a section and then I'll redo that. Um, but the only thing that I truly try to get 100% right is the beginning. I, I, I need a good hook. Uh, you actually noticed that before we started hopping on the interview, but I need a good hook. I need a good story to kick things off. I need something mm. that's going to, you know, build a curiosity gap. I need something that's going to gauge a reader and grab them really quick, uh, right off the bat. So that's, I probably take the majority of my time just getting a piece started because I want that intro to feel right. And then after I have that intro, uh, I just kind of run through the rest stream of consciousness, like you said. And then mm. lately I've been trying to really focus on getting better as a writer. So I'll put a piece away. I'll send it to somebody else for some feedback, some other people for some feedback, and then I'll just sit on it for a few days, let it look like a totally new piece to me when I look back at it and then start changing things up, start changing up sentences, start changing up words, ideas, coming up with new things to add. Um, so that's, that's new for me though. I, and I think it, it depends on what you're trying to do with your writing, your career, your persona, your brand, um, and what stage you're at. So like in the beginning, I was just, I wanted to get my name out there. So I was just pumping out content, pumping out content, pumping out content. So I was more focused on quantity as opposed to quality. But now that I've gotten to a, a decent level of following, um, I still want to put out a lot of content, but I, I want to focus on the writing piece. I, I really do want to get better so that I can put out the best stuff for the people who are in my world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask one question, but before I do that, I want to entice people to go to your medium and I want to just talk about one headline. Just I want to scroll and maybe go to one that caught my attention to just show uh -huh. um, here. Where's one? Oh, here it is. So you do a good job of title, subtitle. So this one says, four kinds of friends you should actively seek to have in your life. And then oh. subtitle, the one who tells you what you don't want to hear. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're writing the first paragraph already. Uh -huh. um, but I love that. I love that. And But then the question I had was, do you have a flock of feedback people? Um, and does that get annoying to them when it's just like, yo, read this, read this, read this. But how yeah. do you moderate that? Or like, how do you how do you do that well? Yeah. So, so just to come back to that headline and, and subtitle real quick, uh, that was like a fun piece about, so the, the little creative piece as a part of that title was, it's actually a friends reference, like the show friends. So the piece is about friends and then every friends ah. episode is the one who, the one where blank, right? It's the episode where blank. So the subtitle is the one who blank that friend. Um, so that was like a little hidden French <laughs> reference in there as well. I, I try to give like subtle clues sometimes. Uh, that's good. That's good. That's, that's like, uh, 
that's like a uh, director making a new movie but in the yeah. movie that came out beforehand they like have a sneak peek in like the corner i forget yeah. which director did that, did that well yeah i love that stuff you know i think that drives a lot of my own creation like i i, I read all the clickbait articles which are like this six you know, uh, toys in Toy Story 2 that you also found in Toy Story 1, right? And you like find them in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I, I love those little hidden hidden messages that people put in things because I love hidden meaning, right? I love stories, so I love the hidden meanings behind them. Uh, it all flows together when I really, really sit down and think about it. But anyway, to answer your question. But yeah, um, and, and before you do, Friends, yeah. amazing. I went on a, on a first ever time, first ever time watching it two-week binge i, I couldn't really? get off it amazing so show that's awesome yeah, yeah. I, I mean i'm not even like a diehard like i know some people are um <laughs> i've seen a fair amount of episodes and i know the structure of how the titles are are made um but anyway man the the journey of writing i've tried to make as i don't even know the right way to say this I've tried to not be as lonely as possible because writing can be a very lonely field, right? Just like entrepreneurship. And I, I do consider myself an entrepreneur, even though I am a writer, right? Or as I would say, like I'm a trailblazer who uses writing and entrepreneurship to promote this concept of personal development through creative storytelling. Um, so with those titles, I kind of believe that I wanted to have a community around me. So I was very active about not just focusing on the writing, but focusing on the people who could help me with my writing, who could support my writing, um, who I could learn from, who I could you know, support their writing. So I do a lot of editing of other people. Uh, I've got a couple of Slack groups. I've got a couple of just in individuals mm. who I really love to go back and forth with. So to answer your question, like, uh, because I do, like, I, I'm also an editor of a pretty major publication on Medium called Mind Cafe. So I'm doing editing for other people all day. So to, to be quite honest, like what if I ask for some other people to edit my work, I, I feel like it's it's well deserved, like I've done my fair share of editing. Uh, yeah. So I do send it to some people, but I do at times think I could be a pest. Like if I wrote a lot in one day and I want to send the same kind of article to somebody who I know likes that kind of article and I send them like four in a row, then I do feel a little bit uh, burdensome. So I, I, I just make it open. I say something like, you know, if this is too much, just let me know, right? I, I try to be cognizant of the other person, how they could feel and just am open about those emotions and allow them to share them back to me. Yeah, and to, and to highlight to a high degree, uh, Mind Cafe is absolutely massive uh, publication on Medium. I didn't even know about till a couple hours ago that it was so big. Um, you started that or you're just the editor of it? No, Adrian Drew, who's great. You, you'd love him. He's a 21, 22-year-old guy from London. He started it out of his bedroom like two years ago, and it just grew massively because it's it's relaxed and inspiring essays about happiness and mindfulness and self-improvement. And I connected with Adrian uh, as a writer for Mind Cafe, like basically when it started. 
and just like I said, just tried to be a human instead of a writer. So I reached out, we had a conversation, right? And I was just writing for him. And then one day he was looking for editors for the publication. And because we developed such a nice rapport already, I said that I was interested in helping out. And I hopped on in like March of 2020. And I've been doing the editing uh, for for the medium publication. Mind Cafe has got other entities as well. Like they have a print magazine, which is really special. And then they've got their social media side of things. And they've got mm-hmm. a couple other things going on. But I'm, I'm the sole uh, editor of the medium publication. And AJ does like a day as well i see i see yeah yeah and one thing i know you have like three main pillars you started to uh, keep tight-knit to you especially as you left like the corporate path and Uh the traditional way and started defining your own narrative and own yeah own own pathway Uh, Mm -hmm. one of them is nurturing relationships yeah and right with what you just said i think you do that so well with reaching out to a person because you want to instead of trying to extract something from them. And it seems like one major learning I've had, and I know you're in the realm of entrepreneurship slightly, um, selling, the best way to do it is actually to not sell. So it seems like these things are counterintuitive, but you do it so well that uh, it ends up reaping rewards long-term. So I wanted to ask like your ability to maintain patience when doing those outreaches. I know even bef- even when you were starting the book, What Happens in, t- in Tomorrow World, you reached out to Ken Blankert, John Gordon, Robin Sharma, all those dudes. Yeah. Obviously, some might have not got- gotten back to you, but like you did it with a certain intention. So I would love to hear like your ability to maintain patience when when it seems like things might might not be falling into the your favor in the short term. Yeah, so this has been something as somebody who's out out here on my own for the last couple of years and I have products and I need to sell those products to make a living, this has been something I struggle with so much. Um, because the first two books, I just kind of swallowed my pride and I would, I would reach out to people and I think I did it in the wrong way. I would say, you know, look, I, I'm just have this book coming out and I, I tried to get authentic and vulnerable and I would just say, I, I've, I'm really wondering if you would share it, you know, with your email list, with your social media, whatever it is. And I focus on the product itself. Um, and that was the most uncomfortable thing for me because I, I don't want to make anybody spend or invest money in me um, ever, kind of. I, I wish I could do this all for free, but I do have to make a living. So something that I'm actually more comfortable with that I'm doing for what happens in tomorrow world that I am so much more patient with and appreciative appreciative of and feel better, more confident, more comfortable doing already is I created a bunch of free resources um, where I'm going to these same people who, who now I've reached out a couple of times, but instead of saying just with your audience, your trusted folks who you have garnered a relationship with, who trust you, who want to hear from you, instead of just pushing out a product to them, would you be willing to share these free resources once mm. they're, once they want one of those free resources, then they're a part of my email list. And on my email list, what I do is 
it's basically like the the Gary V jab jab right hook, except mine is like give give, give give give, give 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 give, give some more, and then I have this one book that I want you to hopefully buy. So that yeah. is uh, the the freemium model, the free method, just give for free, give for free, give for free, and just. I just throw my shoulders up just like I did to you and just hope that when I do make the ask to buy finally, people will. And then it's out of my hands. By doing this process, by being patient with this process, by focusing on the giving end, what's most important is I am comfortable with it. You know, I feel good about the way that I will get certain sales. Um, Whereas in the past, even if it worked, I still didn't feel great about it. I I didn't feel like it was reciprocal. I didn't feel like I earned it. Um, So this, like you said, this patient process of giving stuff away for free and waiting for people to to get involved and then ultimately making the ask, uh, that's just, it's it's just felt better, you know? It, it It feels a lot more worthwhile to pursue um, than the other route. Yeah. And then you, and then you're fulfilling another thing of yours, which is, is giving the most value possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that was another one alongside nurturing relationships, yeah. but I, I love that. I love that redefined method. Um, it's kind of like a duplex, uh, alignment with, uh, getting comfy in the uncomfy, which is your first mm-hmm. ever book. Yeah. Um, but then also like you talk about your comfy acronym with morning routines. Uh-huh. So it's like finding something that works for you, but also uh, exactly that, like finding something that works for you within the, within the waters of chaos yeah. in a way. Yeah. Right? Like Jordan, P- Jordan Peterson talks about finding order within chaos. Like you're finding yours. Absolutely. That's what getting comfy in the uncomfy is all about. It's like, I'm still selling, right. Which is uncomfortable to me but I can find a comfortable way to get uncomfortable. Well, the, the thing that was a breakthrough for me was like, I, I, I had a really great talk with uh, these two people, uh, Brian Luna and this other, his wife, uh, forget her name, I think it was uh-huh. Tina Luna. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, he's an actor, writer. She's more of like a high performance coach for like high level CEOs. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to them when I was younger, or younger being a year ago, and I was like, I just feel weird selling. Um, you know, my dad's salesman for 35, 40 plus years, I feel weird selling. And mm-hmm. they're like, don't say that. See selling as being of service. And when I heard that, I was like, blown mind. I was like, yeah. I mean, that's just game changer. So yeah, it seems like what you've done is just like, you're, you're being of the most service by selling stuff you, you, uh, you know, will help people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but the thing I wanted to bring up going back to, uh, something you brought up in your TEDx talk, mm-hmm. which I was like. For you to make your story funny is a kudos to your ability to story tell, but also like your your knowing of yourself. So in your TEDx talk, you talk about the quadfecta. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Over you said you had you were overweight, you had long hair, cross-eyed, and your last name was gross. I got a kick out of that one. Uh-huh. Last name is gross. But you turned your weaknesses into strengths with being a number one soccer goalie in New York City, top five in academics, obviously with Northwestern. Um I feel as though, like, how did you make the switch into seeing the weakness as a strength? Because they're two sides of the same coin. 
but to reframe it and see see it as so is harder for some yeah so and, and by the way funny is is so what i want people to realize about life is that there's always going to be seriousness going on but more we could laugh and smile and take ourselves not so seriously the better off we'll probably be right um but anyway back to your question so that that experience you mentioned that quadfecta really came to prominence when i was about like 10 or 11 years old so i can't you know i'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that i created this acronym when i was 10 or 11 years old or i was reading books when i was 10 or 11 years old but I'll just simplify it to a 10 or 11 year old mindset. I was called, I was some, someone called me fat, right? When I was 11 years old. And what I mentioned in the talk is that was, I knew I was overweight. I was bigger than everybody else. You know, I wasn't blind, uh, although I did wear glasses, but I, <laughs> I could see other people. I could see that I was bigger, um, but nobody ever said it to my face, right? Maybe they were saying it behind my back or, it was definitely evident, but nobody ever said it to my face. And, and a waiter said something along the lines of that a couple of my my friend and his sisters were related because they were skinny. And that clearly allowed me to believe that I was not skinny. Uh, so I looked at it like this, like I had a choice in that moment. I had a choice to let that thought overpower me, consume me, have that be my identity or I could make a change. I could, you know, not worry about the fact that I was overweight, but do little things in order to not be like that if I didn't want to be, right? If I wanted to stay like that, that mm. would be fine. Um, but I wanted to make a change. So I started to make little changes. But in that moment, like I mentioned the quadfecta, because somebody had said something bad about my weight, I realized, well, what else? Are people saying that's bad about me and like you said I, I wore glasses so i looked funny i my last name is gross so people laugh at me already i had long hair so people always called me a girl uh there's i might actually be the like quin quintfecta i had really not great teeth at the time either so all these things you know all these qualities that i could just harp on and say why me poor pitiful jordan why, why does this have to happen to me right or I could say, screw it and just push through it, push past it. You know, some of them I, I can't change. Some things you are not going to be able to change. You cannot control them, which were, you know, for instance, I, I said like my long hair uh, or my teeth, right? I can't change that, but I could tell a different story about some of the other things. I was bigger than everybody else, like you said. So why not use that as an advantage while I had it? So I was a great athlete, you know, I was a good soccer goalie, good basketball player, good football player, good baseball player, I was stronger than everyone. So instead of looking at it like just being fat, there were some benefits to it, right? Um, my last name being gross, I, I, I could use that to be funny. You know, people were going to laugh at me anyway, so why wouldn't I just laugh with them, you know, and say, yeah, gross, ew, disgusting, right? And yeah. laugh with them. Um being, you know, having glasses on, looking nerdy. I was going to get called nerdy anyway, so why not put my head my head in the books and uh, actually, yeah. you know, be like that. So I didn't I didn't know at the time what I was doing, but 
looking at that 10 year old kid, it, it was just a simple choice. It was a decision of who do I want to be? Do I want to be somebody who sulks about my misfortunes or do I want to be somebody that changes the narrative? Love every single piece of that, man. And I, I want to bring up that this year you have one word with uh, experimentation is your word. Obviously it can give its own definition and meaning, but for life itself, it seems as though if I were to pick one word, perspective is like a big one that comes to mind with me. I mean, we talk about narrative, we talk about storytelling. It yeah. applies the same to reality uh-huh. through everything you've been through and like you've probably been to some great places too. What is uh, what is your one word for, for life and kind of like a rich Keller type way. Right. So I know you have one word for yourself, but like a word for your life. That's just like, I mean, that's it. That's a thing. Yeah. So the word for myself is trailblazer. Um, but that's more me. My, my word for life is a, another great question, by the way. But I was, I was talking to somebody today, actually, about my one word for this, this year, which is experimentation. And I think at least based off of the person who I've slowly been turning into for the last three or four years, experimentation kind of is my life word, I would say. I do think that my life is like, uh, there, I don't know if it's real or not, but one of my favorite writers, her name is Emily Wilcox. She, she wrote this piece about main character syndrome. And essentially it's where you think you're the main character in your own story. You're, you're basically creating a movie, your own life movie. And every decision you make is what the main character in that movie would do to make it exciting, to make it dramatic, to make it boring at some points, to make it not boring at some points. Um, so I think I have a little bit of main character syndrome and I'm trying to create the most exciting, memorable, adventurous, spontaneous story that I can. And the way that I do that is through experimentation, trying out different ideas that I have going back to school, right. To become a therapist, uh, writing books, writing articles, helping people launch books, editing people's work, all different things right and and it it rolls over to my my social and personal life as well like experimenting with different uh trips and different movie types and different activities right a mm. sense of adventure a couple of my my good friends from the next gen community from universal dialect are all about adventure bringing adventure to the world and i think i try to do that as well through being an experimenter experimenting uh in all different ways and then at the end of an experiment, you have to assess what's right or wrong. So a lot yeah. of the times my experiments don't go well, and then I still learn from them and I move forward uh, and I reassess and reevaluate how to push onto the next thing, the next idea, the next phase of my life. Um, so I, w- yeah. I, I would say that, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I wanna let that sit there and let that marinate for all, because. That's very, 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 very powerful. And another thing I was going to mention, another last kind of research point as I was diving deep into your stuff, and I already getting to know you really, really deeply, but, and obviously looking at and everything you've done, you talk about in one of your Medium articles, uh, I believe it was, the difference between thoughtful wishing and wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. And one thing I used to hate was when people say, people would say, good luck. 
or like all like all like good luck and i just like and it kind of got to me eventually when i just like heard someone say instead of saying good luck say all the best or like something like that right because it's mm-hmm. it's more of a switch in mindset but also like when people say it like that there's these there's these mundane simple terms that people don't actually mean with their heart mm-hmm. and for you to like when you write, it allows you to speak better. When you speak, it allows you to write better, so on and so forth. And with you saying this thoughtful wishing, mm-hmm. it's not wishful thinking. Um, I just wanted to bring that up. And like, if we can talk on it, we can. Yeah. But I think that was a really powerful point. Yeah. The uh, I appreciate that. It's just like you said, man. It's kind of like we don't think about words or phrases as much as we should. Right. And, and we don't think about, you know, f- switching what w- phrases mean, like wishful thinking versus thoughtful wishing. Um, good luck. What does that actually mean? Uh, a lot of little language things, like f- how we frame language is has a lot to do with how we see the world, right? Like, do you say mm-hmm. it's partly cloudy or do you say it's mostly sunny? I would say that people yeah. who say it's mostly sunny are a little bit more optimistic, right? I would say people who say it's mostly cloudy are probably a little bit more pessimistic. Um, do we say I'm up for that or I'm down for that, right? It's little things, but up is probably connoted more so with positivity than down, which is negativity, right? So what, what kind of words do you use? So coming back to the piece, it was just, you know, wishful thinking is the phrase that we use and it's, it's largely negative um, because wishful thinking means you kind of have this grandiose vision that probably cannot be achieved in the eyes of some, but thoughtful wishing instead is like you've creatively concocted a way to get to this big goal, right? So I think about, you know, I, I, I've been called a dreamer. I've been calling, uh, I've been called an I, idealist, um, not a realist, uh, everything, right? But the second I start to share the plan, that's when wishful thinking turns into thoughtful wishing. So there's a bit of intentionality behind the wishes that I have. Uh, and, and that thoughtful wishing makes it seem more possible to come to fruition. Yeah, there's a quote I had my brother gave me when I was young. I hung it on my wall. I still have it to this day. It's a goal without a plan is a wish. And uh, to your point, it's that. And one thing I was thinking about and in, in knowing more of you is like you are free-flowing spirit and fluid and agile, but it's like a structured way to it. And it's – I don't know if you set goals, if you like do that type of thing, but it's like – how do you maintain that ability to to swim that ability to swim but also like know where you're swimming yeah without it, actually without actually you know having a map it yeah it, it reminds me of uh of the bruce lee quote just like be like water right just kind of flow let it take you wherever you want but uh I'm actually. Yeah, I just I just watched Enter the Dragon the other day. Oh no! Nice. I actually haven't seen <laughs> the movie, but uh, I, I love reading about him and his quotes. I'm actually. I'm like that in a lot of ways, but I'm I'm not in a lot of ways. Um, the way that I phrase my routines and habits is: I love routine, 
but I hate monotony. So I love routine, but I dislike the routine of a routine. I don't want to get into too much of a routine where it's the same thing every single day. So with my routine, rather than do the same thing every day, I have like underlying themes or underlying, you know, instead of, uh, instead of a specific thing I have to do every day, it's more of like a range of things or a category of things. It's like getting comfy in my morning routine. Um, it's calm, openness, movement, funny, and your choice. It's not, you have to meditate, you have to do a run, you have to do this, right? Because that will just make me go crazy at some point if I'm just going through the motions. Basically, what I'm trying to do in my life is stay away from going through the motions. I don't want to be that person in the in the movie, in, in office space, the movie about dull work life, who just wakes Love up, that. has a cup of coffee at the same time, goes to work at the same time, does the same thing at work, goes to bed at the same time. I like the idea of that because I can work with structure, but I need some wiggle room within that structure. Yeah, exact, exactly, exact, spot on. I, I love that because I never had it articulated mm-hmm. and, and now it is because it's like you need constraints in order to be creative for you. You yeah. are a writer and you need a routine in order to get into that flow experience later yeah. on. But it seems as though, like you just said, you're kind of like agile within that routine itself. I love that. Yeah. It's like not make sure like you don't have monotony. Yeah. It's like a little yeah. bit of controlled chaos, right? Um, yeah. Because if, if it was just to be so free flowing, that's when you run into the problems or like, so, yeah. What? So would you say that's where spontaneity arises from? Because like you want to have you want to have as much spontaneity in like um, moments where it feels like the universe is intervening and like this came out of the out of the clouds, right? Kind of like your cloud nine living, right? Yeah. But would you say like that stuff arises when you're more when you make room for more um, stuff to more you have more cracks in your boat for like not boat but like your wall for stuff to just flow through yeah, you could say it's almost it's almost like planned spontaneity right yep it's it's within the structure making sure there's time for for new adventures for new people mm-hmm. for new places for new activity you know i i literally uh last year i had like 20 some like 19 or 20 things on a piece of paper that I printed out every single day. And I had to do that every single day. Um, and one of the 20 things was just like fun time. And I, what does that mean? That could have been anything, but something where I was just having fun. So that fun could have been watch a movie, but it also could have been talk to a homeless person on the street, but it also could have been non COVID times, like go to a Broadway show. It could have been go on a spontaneous trip with somebody. Uh, you know, so it's, it's more of a general category. It's more of a feeling, right? Um, I'm big into like asking why, 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 right? For people who have a routine and I'll come back to that running example again, why are you running? You know, what does it do for you? Uh, why is that how you want to feel? Right? Because, and this gets into like a little bit more of the, the, the morbid mindset, but it, but it is important. What if running gets taken away from you? and not, you know, your legs are gone or anything, but what if it's snowing outside and you can't run? Why do you like to run? And what can you still do that running does for you that replaces the actual activity of running? 
So if what running does for you is provide you with this boost of energy that you get from exercising, then if you cannot run on a particular day, then drop down and do a hit workout for 20 minutes and you'll still be able to get that ultimate feeling that you want. Mm. It comes down to the interpretation, part of my imaginative attention framework of what you're doing and why it's so important. Exactly. Yeah. The interpretation. I love that. Mm -hmm. I really do. And, uh, overall, I think there's a lot of beautiful things to be said here, but for Jordan gross, like you're aspiring to be a certain individual and affect others in a certain way. I would love to know like who, who the dreamer wants to be, or just like, like where, where you aspire to be later on in life. And maybe there's bounds, maybe there's not, but you only know that. <laughs> um, have you ever read The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek? Or have you heard? No, of- but I love the concept. Love yeah, it. The concept, right? So I, I think I have three infinite games that drive me forward, and they're all semi related. Uh, the general simple one is help as many people as possible in as many ways as possible. So right now in this in this chapter of my life, I'm going back to school to become a therapist so I can help people at a more formal level with mental health. But I also write articles so I can help people in that way. I also write books so I can help people in that way. I also send newsletter emails so I can help people in that way. Um, that is infinite game number one, is just help as many people as possible, right? That's something that's never going to end. Infinite game yeah. number two is a little bit more specific. It, it has nothing to do with what we talked about today, but I want to put a pillow underneath every single homeless person's head in the world. Um, and that it's relatable because it's about helping people and it's about making others better. Uh, but there's other stories that go into why that's part of my infinite game, but that's just something I think is really a challenge to do, but maybe I can do it and I'll, I'll live every day until I can accomplish that. But that's like more of a long-term infinite game. Cause I'm not doing anything directly related to that right in this moment, but it's still in the back of my mind, something that I have planned for the future. And then the last infinite game is to destigmatize mental health. So now I'm starting that journey. I'm getting into the mental health field. I want to be a part of destigmatizing mental health by writing fun stories that show uh, how important it is to talk about mental health, to reveal uh, challenges, to communicate appropriately and effectively, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's the other infinite game. It's something that is, is really challenging. So many people are working on that as well. Um, but that's another thing that I'm doing. So maybe those those three things, you know, that's that's purpose, that's fulfillment. And I'm trying to really do something related to at least at least one of them every single decision I make, not even just every day, like every every decision I'm making throughout the day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean it it with all of that, something amazing will hit. It's like you're throwing darts at a dartboard, something will hit, but it's I love the meaning behind every single thing in your way of creatively doing every single, cause it seems as though people pick a purpose and it's like that. Yeah. Where it's like, let's hit it from every possible, let's be the soccer player and hit it from every possible angle to try to get it in the goal. And eventually yeah. like, I mean, it's all going to come together. Yeah. yeah. I love that, man. I, I, I will say 
my cup has been filled in this conversation. I appreciate you being on. If there's any departing words you want to have for the for the ears of the world, uh, you can do so. But thank you. I appreciate you, man. The uh, being on this podcast all about dreaming. I, I I wanted to say something. I don't know if I made it up or if some other people made it up. Um, there's no I in dream. So dreams have to involve other people. You you have to work toward helping others and also involving others in order to work toward your own dream. Uh, so that's that's my parting little play on words. My my writer's mind is I there is no I in dream. There is no I in team. Like the common saying, but there's no I in dream either. You, you can't you can't achieve a dream by being alone or to yourself or a recluse, right? You need to get involved in community. You need to get involved with other people. You need to help other people achieve their dreams um, because it's not all about you. Hmm. But thank Absolutely. you. It was great. Thank Love you that. for allowing me to share. Um, thank you so much. Is there, can I tell people about like, like I want to give you some free resources. Do you, do you give out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. Also I'll link it below as well. So please, yeah. please give that. Yeah. So I just, I, I want, like I said, in one of the answers before, uh, there are a couple different ways. I just want to give, give, give. So I've got 61 of the best personal development books that I've ever read that I've ever seen summed up in one sentence. Like I said, I was a spark notes person in the past. So this is your spark. Amazing curation. And uh, I've got 27 personal development stories through creative storytelling. So those are books like The Alchemist, uh, Go-Giver, John Gordon books, stuff like that. I've got an animated trailer for my upcoming book that you can watch for free. And then I've got a LinkedIn community called Help Self, which is self-help with a twist, um, which is just content all about fun and entertaining ways to enhance your personal development. And uh, reach out, just reach out on mainly LinkedIn um, or go through my website and uh, say what's up there. Yeah, I was just thinking about that before with the LinkedIn group and I will come from my angle and say it's it's awesome uh you intentionally share stuff and it's it's very it's very engaged um so please follow that people if, if you want yeah awesome man yeah appreciate that awesome you got it